Well, the first week, um, by the Spirit of the Lord, I really believe it was because it wasn't in the plan, I gave you a challenge, uh, if you wanted to take it, to be praying the Philipp- what do you call Pauline prayer in Philippians, the first chapter, and you don't have to show me your hands, but uh, did any of you do that? Have you been praying that? I just felt like it would be good for us to start off this session tonight with that prayer If you'll turn to Philippians, the first chapter, um, you may just have to pray in the spirit as I prayed out loud because I'm going to be reading it from the Amplified, and if you don't have the Amplified, you couldn't read along with it. But this prayer is such a wonderful prayer for us to pray over our own lives, over the lives of our family, and over the lives of our church. You know, you are part of the generation's family, and it's important, and you have... um, you have a leg to stand on. You have a, a, a position of authority to pray for the generation's church. And so we're going to pray this tonight over them. And from the Amplified Version, just agree with me as I pray this prayer that Paul prayed. Father, we pray that your love, our love, that our love would abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight, that our love would display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment. Lord, we need that. We need that comprehensive discernment. We thank you for that. So that we may surely learn to sense what is vital, approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences that we would be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, we may approach the day of Christ not stumbling and not causing others to stumble. May we abound in and be filled with the fruits of righteousness and right doing, which comes through Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, to the honor and the praise of God, that his glory may be both manifested and recognized. And we all said, Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You know, I'm trying to be led by the Spirit and not get bound up in my notes. That's easy to do. And uh, I mentioned to uh, Elizabeth the other day, she Uh, She was talking about how much she was getting out of the lessons. And I said, well, I went home last week, and my husband asked me, well, how did it go? And I said, well, it went good, but it just wasn't as smooth to me. It wasn't as smooth as usual. It seemed like I was doing too much reading. He said, well, I'm sure it's good. I said, well, I'm sure it was good, too. But I've been talking to the Lord all week about that. You know, I want to be led by you. I want to flow with you and everything. And this morning, he talked to me. Um, I'd like to tell you these things because I think you learned them. Uh, he talked to me while I was in my makeup area. He talks to me a lot in that spot because I spend a lot of time. It takes a lot of makeup. <laughs> no, but you're, you kind of get yourself zoned out, you know, when you're in there. You, the, the, the TV's not on. The music's not on. You're just doing your thing, and the Lord can talk to you. And I'm sure that you men folks have something, uh, something similar. But anyway, I was just listening to the Lord, and he said, Here's what you're supposed to do next time that happens. You stop. You ask the people to pray with you. You pray in the spirit until you get to that flow again. Now, I've done that before, but it was just like, 
Oh, yeah. That's, that's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so praise God. It's, you know, you just never get to the point where you can't learn. I was talking to my mother today who's turning 94. She, yeah, we just, no, it was Mama White I was talking to. She's 88. <laughs> but you just never get to the point where you're not in a position to learn something from God. And it, it, that's so wonderful. It's, it's never stale. It's always fresh. His word is just so vital to us all. Living your, in your true identity is our topic for these sessions. Um, how many of you remember this? I imagine a lot of you have heard it. It's an old Cherokee fable. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two, two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a moment, and then he asked his grandfather, Papa, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're feeding the good wolf, feeding the good wolf. And we need to make that a practice in our daily lives to feed that good because there are plenty of things out there that are going to feed the other, and so we have to make that a choice. What are the characteristics of this new Christ image creation that we've been talking about? I can't go over all of them, but I wanted to hit some of these tonight that we can talk about what happens in us as we begin to realize that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus and also I'm thinking you know what's going through my mind as I'm talking to you about that there's this kind of this nature versus nurture controversy so to speak that they talk about in society you know why is this person the way they is is it their nature or is it their nurture was it the genes that were in them or is it the way that they were brought up? We have the same thing, too, in our Christian walk, as we've talked about in the other sessions, about God has given us new genes. He's given us a new DNA. We no longer have to say, well, I'm bound by my, this, my Scottish heritage, or I'm bound by the way my dad did this or whatever. No, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's put new genes within you. There's new things, uh, a new life in you. But at the same time, there are forces to play around you but we talked about that as well we have new forces around us and we need to make uh, use of it we have the body of Christ we have this a group of fellow believers we need to join with them as, as Pastor Scott is working toward getting people to do we need to join with them and get that nurture and that nature going together one of the things that we find about uh, this new nature that's in us, this new creation that's in us, is that we have a new smell about us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 
As I go through this tonight, I may get to where I'm going too quickly for you to look everything up, but I encourage you to jot them down and look at the uh, places later. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. The Amplified says that, he leads us in triumph as, as trophies of Christ's victory. You are a trophy of the great thing that Jesus Christ accomplished when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And he is delighted in you. In the Message Bible, that verse says, In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation, an aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench of a rotting corpse. You may have experienced both of those. Um, Everywhere you go, the triumph and the smell of victory on you is greater than whatever is around you. That is an awesome thing. Now, one other thing I want to point out, and I've been pointing it out each week, but people say, well, I don't, you know, I'm a Christian, but, but I'm not seeing that. Everything we do is, has to be by faith. If you haven't been seeing it, have you been putting your faith to, the, to expect that to happen? What are you believing for? What's coming out of your mouth? You've got to line up your faith, and you've got to line up your words if you want these things to manifest. It says that, that God is a faith God, and those that come to him must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. It's, it's going to be amazing, you know, when we get to heaven and really see what this faith thing is all about. God is still creating worlds with his faith. When we get to heaven, we're going to be creating with faith. We think of faith as some ephemeral thing up here. Faith is very real, and, and we won't understand how real it is till we get there. It's an awesome thought. It's an awesome thought. So greater than whatever is around you. The triumph of Christ in you and the smell of that triumph comes out of you and has an effect on the atmosphere wherever you go. Have you experienced that yet? I've, I've told you before, I've walked into meetings where the tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And, and it wasn't me, it was God in me. People would tell me later, Joy, when you came into the room, there was a peace that came over that place. That can happen. Hallelujah. And it's God. It's God. Praise the Lord. Second Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 18, says, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold, this is amplified, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly, oh, I love that, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Living Bible says, and as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. 
we have some nurses in here, and I'm sure they can tell you all about communicable diseases. You remember when you were a child, they talked about communicable diseases, chicken pox and measles and all these things that are contagious. Communicable means that it can be communicated. It can be spread. It is contagious. And there are symptoms that go with that. Well, what we have is not a disease, but it can be communicated, and there are symptoms. In Philemon, is that how you pronounce it? Philemon, verse 6, in the King James Version, it says, The communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase we talked about before. In Christ Jesus, we're put into him. And as we're in him, these things begin to happen. But notice in that uh, verse 6 of Philemon that it says, as you acknowledge every good thing, there goes your part of faith. You can't just sit back and expect it to fall, as Kenneth Hagin used to say, like ripe cherries off of a tree. You have to do your part. You have to apply your faith, and you have to speak it out of your mouth. Amen? We are contagious Christians. The symptoms that show up when Christ is in you are evident to those around you. Confidence, joy, love, hope, peace. You can't help but share your faith. Hankin says you can't help but lay hands on the sick, love people, and be a giver. You have the answer exuding from you, and when you come into the room, things brighten up with you. How'd you get that way? By acknowledging every good thing which is in you because you are in union with Jesus. Ephesians 2. Let's look at Ephesians 2. I'm going to back up to verse 6. Lay this down. This is some shouting ground. Ephesians 2, we're going to start with verse 6. And he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there just a second. Remember, we talked about everything we do is of faith. When we get to heaven, we're going to see just what all is accomplished by faith. Here in faith... We are already sitting beside Daddy God in Christ Jesus. We're in him. He's in us. As we meditate on that and think on that, it becomes more natural that when we're walking here on the earth that we would expect that those things come out of our life. They come out of our words. They even come out of our touch. We need to begin to believe that and see it because that's what faith does. Verse 8, for it is by free grace that you are saved 
through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. So you begin to live these things through your life, and some might misinterpret. They might say, well, just who do you think you are? Well, just what makes you, you're, that person's just kind of haughty. They're just kind of proud. No, it's not that at all, because you realize that what you are demonstrating, what you are exuding is the gift of God, and it's a work of your faith. It's not through any natural goodness in yourself. Nothing that we have is of anything but filthy rags, but we are not in filthy rags anymore. We are seated next to God in Christ. That's not a raggy position. Praise God. Um, yeah, the gift of God. Now, verse 9. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can take pride in himself in it or take glory to himself. For we are God's own handiwork recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Created in Christ. God does not make any trash. You can't be defeated because God does not make any failures. Failures are man-made. There's a minister named Blaine Cook. He said that that verse, in that verse where it says handiwork, that in the Greek, that handiwork word is poema. That means that God has a poem written about each one of your lives. God has a poem written about each one of your lives. I like that. In witnessing, here's the key. Start talking to unsaved people. See, the problem is, Blaine says, you don't think you're irresistible. But if you thought you were irresistible, you would be. Whenever you sow seed, you can't make it grow anyway. It's the Spirit of the Lord. I love what Bill Johnson says about that. I've shared it before. He said he was on a trip to Israel, and the tour guide was taking them out in the fields and explained to them that back in Bible times that they didn't uh, grow crops the way we do, that they would take and they would cast the seed out over the ground and then wherever the seed fell, that's where they would go and make the furrows. He said the same thing is true today. He said wherever you plant the seed, the word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to come along and make the furrows after that. He says, well, you, you may talk to somebody and they say, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Well, you can just tell them too late. I've already planted the seed and the Holy Spirit's coming. Praise God. <laughs> Let's talk about boldness. God, through this new creation in us, gives us boldness. In Ephesians, the third chapter in the 12th verse, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence 
by the faith of him. The Amplified says, in whom, because of our faith in him, we dare to have boldness, courage, and confidence of free access and unreserved approach to God with freedom and without fear. The Message Bible says, when we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. Praise the Lord. I wanted, I, I was, um, the Charisma Magazine came today, came this evening, and I was sitting on the couch before church looking through it, and this just stuck out to me. Now, it's kind of gory in one part, but hang in there because it's worth it. This is a testimony of Pastor Bill Purvis. He has a mega church. I don't know in what town. I'm not familiar with him. But anyway, uh, his testimony here is, he says, 42 years ago, Purvis was a 17-year-old rebel who picked up a prostitute and brought her back to a house. But the whole situation was a setup for murder. He says, this guy came out of a room. I was fully undressed, and this guy came in the room with a butcher knife, Purvis recalls. He stabbed me in the chest, and the knife came out of my back. The second time, he stabbed me in the throat. He cut my jugular in half. I'm one of four in the world who live through this, live from that. I had a friend waiting in the car. He saw me covered in blood, and I hit the hood of the car and screamed to get out of here. I ran 50 more feet, fell in the parking lot, and grabbed a light pole. Now, this is what I want you to hear that goes on with what we're talking about. Oh, While clinging to that light post, Purvis remembered a young man who knocked on his door two weeks before the incident. The man told him, everything you're looking for can be found in Jesus. So holding on to that light pole, bleeding to death, Purvis cried out to God for forgiveness for his life and asked Jesus to transform his life. During his prayer, Purvis' friend who had been in the car found him and rushed him to the hospital where a cardiovascular surgeon just happened to be on call. Eleven and a half hours of surgery later, Purvis thought it was all a bad dream, but the district attorney's documents proved otherwise. So, see, you know, that thing of realizing that you are, what, did it, what does the word make me, make me say it the right way? You are irresistible. Yeah, you are irresistible. I don't want to get the opposite. You are irresistible. Your words have anointing on them. You can think, well, they're just simple words. There's not much to them. But hallelujah, there is. There is a life force flowing in you. Acknowledge it, believe it, and watch it go to work. Um, Gloria Copeland says this about self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is a thing that bugs many Christians. Self-consciousness is a major problem in the body of Christ today, Gloria says. It keeps us from doing the thing God, things God tells us to do. Instead of simply obeying him, it makes us start to wonder, now what will people think of me if I do that? What if I command that person to get out of the wheelchair and he doesn't get up? What if I start believing for prosperity and go broke? What about that, God? I won't look too good, will I? 
Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how you look. It's obeying God that counts. When it comes to obeying God, your own reputation doesn't count. And the sooner you forget it, the better off you'll be. But you know what's ironic, Gloria says? Once you do that, your reputation gets better. It's a funny thing when you lose that desire to protect your image, your image will improve. Why? Because when people look at you, instead of seeing that puny little image you have of yourself, they'll see the image of the Lord Jesus coming through. So put aside that old self-consciousness and develop God-consciousness instead. Stop being dominated by the fear of man and start being motivated by faith in what Jesus can do. He has promised he will never leave you nor forsake you. Grab hold of that. Believe it. Act on it. Once you do, you'll realize there's really nothing to be afraid of anymore. Amen? Amen. Um, I think I'm going to skip that one. Let's talk about one of the other things that's available to us with this new image that we have is wisdom. The Bible tells us that wisdom has been hid for us. Not hid from us, it's hid for us. Let's look at Colossians, the second chapter, the third verse. Colossians 2, 3. Praise the Lord. Colossians 2, 3 says, In him all the treasures of divine wisdom, comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God, and all the riches of spiritual knowledge and enlightenment are stored up and lie hidden. They're not hidden from us, they're hidden for us. Um, Hankin says, he has not, God, he's talking about God, God has not taken all these wonderful things and laid them out in the street. God has a secret place where he has hidden them for people who receive Jesus. You have access. Whatever knowledge, direction, understanding, or wisdom you need for your children, your finances, your future, are stored up in Christ. They can take, they being people, they can take your clothing, they can take your house and your car, but if you have wisdom, you're going to get it all back. Praise God. I've seen that a few times in my life myself. Have any of you? Amen. Uh, Hankin says, in Christ we have access to the understanding and insight of God. Sometimes your relationships can be messed up because you, uh, because you never had any insight. The Holy Spirit gives you access to everything that is in Christ, and he will warn you about wrong relationships. Kenneth Hagin used to say, any person who shuts his spirit away and refuses to develop it will end up being a cripple in life and a victim of scheming and designing people. Isn't that wonderful? If you meditate on that, and if you meditate on the word of God, you never have to be a victim again. There will be a smoothness, a silkiness to things that are of God, and there will be a 
a little flashing warning, an uneasiness, something not quite right in your spirit when it's not of God. And we just pray, Lord, you know, you said if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it. Lord, you cause that to go off in me. You cause me to discern that, like we prayed in Philippians earlier, to discern those things and not think, well, you know, you're just being too too suspicious. No, God's put those things in there for you because he wants to protect you. Amen? Let's talk about faith and patience. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the twelfth verse, in the NIV, it says, uh, the writer says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Like we had said earlier, all these things are in their force, but it takes faith to lay hold on them. It takes patience. Hankin says, I, I thought about this, I know that uh, this will ring a bell in Sharon and Almeda, but uh, recently we had a baby born in the family, and, and you go to the hospital, and you push the button on the elevator, and the light comes on, and you stand there, and you stand. I know the elevator's coming because the light has come on, uh, and eventually it does. When you exercise your faith, Hankin says, you have punched the button and the light is on. The devil will say, no, it's not going to come. It'll never happen. But you know the light is on. I even thought about this uh, ramification of that. Sometimes you're standing there and the lights come on, but the doors don't open. You think, I should take the stairs. I should just take the stairs. And you know we do that in our lives too. We decide... Well, we'll just take it out of God's hand. We'll just go handle it. We'll just go take out a loan. You know, we've been waiting on this. We'll just go take out a loan. We'll just take it in our own hands. But we need to keep the switch of faith turned on. Every morning, Hankin says, when you get up, say, the light is on. Let's, let's say this after me. Say, the light is on. My faith is still working. Miracles are coming to me. The elevator is on the way. I saw something by Rick Renner. He says, you know, we talk about faith and patience. You need to have that patience to work with your faith. But he says there's a difference in patience and passivity. Passivity. There are two different positions of heart, although their external act of waiting may look the same. Patience is a controlled, decisive stillness that waits with confident expectation. And I would add under there, add into that that it, c- it contains praise. While you're being patient, you're praising him. Not, oh, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. No, but you're thanking him that it is taking place, that it is happening, that it is coming. Passivity just simply waits and shifts position based on the influence of external forces rather than internal decisions. Renner says, don't let passivity extinguish the embers of your passion. Use patience, not passivity. Um, one spirit. Here's another aspect of this new creation that we are in. One spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians six seventeen. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. In the Amplified, it says, But the one who is united and joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
that is just so awesome. It's just like that Ephesians 2 thing that kind of went off in my spirit today. Seated next to Daddy God in Christ. Here it says we're one spirit with him. That's not talking about some silly little ghost going through a haunted house. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. We are one spirit with the Lord. Um, Hankin says it's like you fishermen know about this down at Galveston, the, the Galveston Bay. Well, what is that bay? It's a body of water that through an inlet is connected to the ocean or the gulf in our case, connected to the ocean. Whatever's out there in the ocean is in the bay. Whatever's in the bay is in the ocean. When the tide rises in one, it rises in the other. When it falls in one, it falls in the other. The same stuff that's in the ocean or the gulf gets into the bay. The same life, the same victory, the same joy, the same righteousness, the same power that is in Christ right now is in you. But you have to acknowledge it. When God looks at you, he sees you in him. But your faith will not be effectual until you start to confess and declare your identity in Christ. Watch those little jokes that come out of your mouth. They're part of our society. They come out all the time. Oh, well, I'm just this or I'm just the other. Watch your mouth. They, they used to make fun of us or criticize us back in the 70s and 80s because uh, we were hearing this preach so much. They said, well, you're just carrying that to the extreme. I tell you, it's a good extreme. You know, you don't want to go putting your finger on everybody else. Oh, watch your mouth. Watch your own mouth. <laughs> you know, an act of love is not to go around telling everybody where they're missing it. But just get yourself straight. Get yourself straight. Um, you have to acknowledge it. When God, oh, I, I read that, I read that. Yeah, okay, in Christ. Confession is one way to acknowledge your identity in Christ. We talked, I, I talked earlier about nature versus nurture. The nature part of us is that when we gave our hearts to the Lord, a new creation came in us. We could preach a, preach, teach a whole other series on what it is to renew your mind, the washing of the water of the word, keeping your life free of contaminating influences. There is some nurture that needs to go on too. That's not really been the focus of these, but it's not to say that it's not there and not important. Um, when you are one spirit with the Lord, as you pray in the spirit, or as you enter a place where the spirit of the Lord is moving, sometimes your head can't really figure out why you're so excited in your spirit. You, you might feel like jumping or running, or you feel so full of the Holy Spirit uh, that you see who you are in Christ. The actual experience of it begins to work out from your spirit, and you start laughing. Your spirit rises up and begins to take ascendancy over your mind, your reasoning, and your flesh. Your spirit starts acting like who you really are. The Holy Spirit begins to infuse strength into your spirit, your inner man. It's reality. It's not just theology. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But, like I said, you train by practice. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter and the 14th verse, it says... But solid food is for the mature, 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The Amplified of that verse says, But solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is good and what is evil. Uh, Gloria Copeland says, We can train our senses to discern between good and evil. When you train for something, you expose yourself daily to whatever it is you want to become. You practice it over and over until it becomes a second nature to you. People who are lazy have practiced being lazy. And people who are disciplined have practiced being disciplined. Spending time with God is spirit practice. It will cause you to overcome the habits of the flesh. Don't be discouraged when you stumble and fail. You're just out of practice. Get back up on your feet and go at it again. I like what it says in Romans, the 8th chapter, the 13th verse in the Phillips translation, um, talking about the old self. It says, but if on the other hand, you cut the nerve of your I'm sorry, you cut the nerve of your instinctive actions by obeying the spirit. That's a good, good picture. Cut the nerve of your instinctive actions by obeying the Spirit. You are on the way to real living. The Living Bible takes that Romans 8.13 and says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you crush it, and its evil deeds, you shall live. And the Message Bible says, I like this, The best thing to do is give your old do-it-yourself life a decent burial, and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Amen. Dan Moeller, I mentioned to him to you the other week. Uh, I watch him on YouTube. has some great teachings in there. He says, we think our ability to fail defines us as failures, and our ability to sin defines us as sinners. But we're not called to wake up every day sin conscious, but we are to wake up every day God conscious, conscious of him and what he did for us. In Romans 6, it tells us to be righteousness conscious. Then you'll produce the fruit of righteousness. If you live by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's kind of like, it reminds me of the story you may have heard Ken Copeland used to say. He had a bad cigarette habit and wanted to be free of it, but he just couldn't throw it and throw the cigarettes out the car window side. He wasn't going to smoke anymore, and in a little bit he'd be driving back trying to find where those cigarettes were in the ditch. But he he went to, I think maybe a Kenneth Hagin meeting or someplace, it was protracted, you know, went on and on and on. And at the end of those meetings, he pulled down his visor and out fell this disintegrated package of cigarettes. It had been up there so long that it had totally dried out and was no good. And he hadn't even thought about it because he had so filled himself with the word. That's the way to fight those evil tendencies is soak yourself in the word, soak yourself in the spirit, get so full of the spirit, eventually there'd just be no room for those things that you want to get rid of. Um, That's an interesting sound. 
Stop letting our lives and circumstances become who we are instead of letting what he's been. Oh, I'm reading that wrong. Stop letting our lives and circumstances become who we are instead of letting what he's been through determine who we are. Um, Moeller says, it's like a man who's given a diagnosis of cancer. Does he see himself now as a dying man praying for help? Or does he see himself as a man in covenant with promises of life? Yes, you still pray, but you pray from the perspective, I have a covenant with the almighty God that covers every disease in the book and out of the book. And it is mine. It is mine. Praise God. Uh, Almost there, guys and gals. Um, Kenneth Copeland talks about the story of the uh, woman with the issue of blood. And we love that story, how the woman... Uh, fought through the crowd. She came through everything, and she touched the hem of his garment, and and she was made whole. And the Lord said to her, who touched me? And the disciples said, well, Lord, the throngs are all around you. Everybody's touching. He said, no, I felt virtue go out of me. He said, we look at that story, and we praise God for it, and we see ourselves as the woman who's pushing through the crowd, she's going to get her miracle because of her faith. Or we see ourselves as the crowd standing around saying, oh, praise God, look what God has done. But he said, Jesus spoke to him and says, when are you going to look at yourself as being in Jesus' clothes? That the issue goes out of you. The life is in you. That's what it told us over there in Ephesians. We are seated with God in Christ. What did he tell us to do when he was going back to heaven? He said, go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. See yourself as containing that life force. That life force is in you. That's your new image in Christ. Praise God. All right. Closing verse. I bet you all had your testimonies tonight, and then I didn't call on you for them. <laughs> we'll do that next week. In the Message Bible, Galatians, the fourth chapter, verse 6 and 7 says, You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Does that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain to you that you are not a slave but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. You agree with that? Amen. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you. Y'all raise your voices. We just thank you tonight that we are in you. We are in you, and we are receiving, and we are learning, and we are growing. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More and more and more. More and more and more. In you, Lord Jesus. In you, Lord Jesus. We are in you. In you. In you. Thank you, Jesus.